The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. I want to add my welcome this morning to you, if you're here for the first time, really special welcome to you, good to have you with us. I want to hazard a guess this morning that, um, I want to suggest this morning that there's something true about all of us here in this room, something true about all of us watching online, something true about all of us in this world, and that's simply this, we all want our lives to count for something. We all want our lives to count for something. We all want to leave some sort of legacy after us. Last week, as we're traveling through the book of Mark, Mark, um, Haki shared with us the parable of the sower. And uh, we we got the idea that that there was the different type of soils that our hearts could have and a different type of receptivity. But Jesus said this at the end of that parable. He said this in Mark Chapter 4, verse 8. I think I've got the reference wrong on the screen. Mark 4, verse 8. He said, Still some other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Don't know about you, but when I read that, my heart goes, Hmm, I want to be like that. As a dad, I want to be like that. As a man, I want to be like that. And I'm sure um, the rest of you in this room and online want to be like that too. Let me tell you a story of a friend of mine. His name is Bob. Uh, Bob uh, came to church. Uh, He was invited by um, Michelle. Michelle grew up in the UK, and she went to a church in the UK where there were four people in the church. It was the pastor, the pastor's wife, the organist, and Michelle. And Michelle wasn't a follower of Jesus, right? And she emigrated to Australia, and she said, the pastor said, well, go to a church, fit into a church. And so she came, but the church she came to was a whole lot bigger than four people, so she invited Bob, her neighbor, said, hey, Bob, come along with me. And Bob wasn't also a follower of Jesus. He, he went along with Michelle. They were friends. And uh, Bob had had a rough life. And uh, during his journey, as he leant into listening and hearing and being part of that community, he came to follow Jesus. And one day, it was Father's Day, actually, uh, we had Linton Allen, who you see on the screen, who is an Australian artist. He draws with pastels and he talks. And uh, he was talking on Father's Day, and he was talking as he painted this scene about Byron Bay, as you see over there on the picture. He drew this beautiful picture and this person walking on the shore. And then he said, that life is sometimes beautiful, but sometimes somebody comes along and messes it up. They scribble all over it. Or perhaps you scribble all over your own life. Uh, we have the habit of messing up some of the good things in our own life. And we mess up our own lives. But then Linton went on to draw. And he began to show how God would take our lives and and the mess up of our lives and begin to make something beautiful on it. And begin to take those very things that seemed like a mess and to turn it into something beautiful. And after Linton had spoken, Bob came forward after the service and he sat in the front seat there. I was sitting next to him, and his tears were just streaming down his face, saying, I wish I'd lived my life differently. But now I have a chance to be different. 
to make a difference, for my life to count. And Bob didn't live much longer after that. He got ill and sick, but people around him, and he just threw himself into serving his community. People around him would have said, Bob was a really good bloke. He made something of his life. One of the biggest failures of our modern culture, friends, is that we think that through through having freedom and happiness and, and fulfillment, that that can be found outside of God. The problem with that way of thinking is those things that we think are going to give us freedom from God often end up enslaving us, and we become slaves to them rather than being free. Jesus here in these parables, and a parable is simply a story that Jesus would use which would, which would illustrate a truth about him or about the world or about yourself. And in Mark chapter 4, there are four parables. Mark, covered, um, Mark Hockett covered the first one last week. But Jesus is wanting to illustrate there's this way of life of living in God's kingdom that brings a, this, this meaning to life that suffering can't take away a satisfaction that is not based on your circumstances. Because the gospel of Mark, as we've been seeing, as we've journeyed through, is telling us that Jesus has come to speak about the good news and, and telling us about who Jesus is and why he came. In the rest of Mark chapter 4, or in, in most of it, there are three more parables. And I gave Mark Hockey the best one last week, so I've got to try and plow through these three. They're a little bit different. But I believe they wanted to teach us something about life, about ourselves, about Jesus this morning. And there's this emerging idea about faith and life that is wanting to show us as we press into this type of life that he calls us to follow. For example, in Mark 4, verse 10 and 11, we saw this last week. He, said, he told them this parable, but then the parable of the sower, and then he explains it. And he said that when he was with the twelve, the others around him asked him about the parable. The parables. He told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. That word secret is a bit of a strange word for us because we go, oh, is Jesus trying to hide something? No, the word is mystery. It's the, there's this mystery that needs to be unlocked. There's this thing that is, that is being revealed. And you, the disciples in the room, are the first people to begin to see this mystery of how God is at work in this world and how it changes men and women, boys and girls. And that it's through this process, through this journey that he will take us on. And we'll see as we go through this parable that Jesus will talk about himself. For example, in Mark 4, 21, he says to them, this is the parable, do you bring a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Now this phrase, if anyone has ears, let them hear. Let them hear. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus is saying there's this light that is coming into the world. And some people are receptive to that. There is this unfolding of what is hidden that will be disclosed to you if you're interested in it. Verse 33, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. There's this thing about being with Jesus that as you journey with him, things begin to make sense for you. Life begins to make sense. I want to say this morning that Jesus Christ, I believe, is 
and brings good news. Because he doesn't only speak about God, but he speaks as if he is God. He speaks about changing our lives. When when we interact with him, there's something that begins to shift within us. Bono, the fam- famous singer from YouTube, from YouTube, from YouTube, excuse me, well, they're on YouTube as well. Bono said this. He said this about Jesus. I don't think you're led off easily by saying Jesus was a great thinker, a great philosopher, because actually he went on to say he was the Messiah. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So either, in my view, he was the Son of God or he was nuts. Jesus comes into the world to say things about himself. And we don't have the luxury of saying he was just a good bloke. Jesus never said that about himself. He got into a whole lot of trouble when he began to speak about who he really was and what life would really look like if you followed him. And friends, we see the change that took place in the people that were in Jesus' family, in his group, in his in those who hung out with him. These ordinary people, we see, for example, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the result of Jesus being with these men and women. This is uh, in Acts chapter 14, Jesus had died and was resurrected again, and Peter and John had gone to the temple, and there was this bloke who was who paralyzed, and he was asking for, for, for uh, money, and they, they healed him, and he got up and walked. And so they got into trouble. And so they, they put them in front of the leaders and the leaders, and this is the, what the, this is telling us now about what the leaders are seeing in these men, Peter and John. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astounded, astonished, as they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The original language in the Greek is not very nice toward Peter and John, and you don't have to know, be a Greek scholar. These are the two words that it uses when they said they're uneducated and normal. They're agramatos, idiotes. How is it that God takes ordinary people who others would say you have no schooling, no education, not that you're dumb, but you've got no schooling and you're actually an idiot. These people who transformed the world whose lives counted for something. How did that happen? What does that look like? What is the secret to this fulfilled life? Jesus goes on to explain that. What is the secret to a life that truly, to a life that truly gives you meaning and purpose without enslaving you and making you more empty than, when you, than what you were in the beginning? To illustrate that, I want to tell you a story about the British cycling team. The British cycling team was really a failure back in the, 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 the 1900s and early 2000s. Um, since 1908, they hadn't won a single gold medal at the Olympic Games. In the world's biggest race, the Tour de France, in 110 years, no British cycler had ever won the Tour de France. So they hired a man called Dave Brailsford to come and change things. And Dave began to do some changes. And now you would expect somebody who comes along to change things, that you would expect these big changes to take place. And these hire the best riders and do those, you know, these big things. No, he did it in a different way. 
And the life of Jesus is very different as well. They began to make small adjustments. They call them 1% changes. Small adjustments. For example, um, so by the way, the, the British cycling team was so bad that, that some of the European cycling manufacturers refused to let the British ride their bicycles because they didn't want to be associated with those losers, right? But they hired this man and they began to do something different. For example, they made the seats more comfortable to sit on. They got the angles just right. They put uh, some alcohol on the tires to give the tires better grip. They, they gave the, the men or the, the riders some electrical heated pants uh, to make them more comfortable when they were riding. But they tried other things. They, they put them in a wind tunnel and tried their fabrics out to see what was more aerodynamic and more comfortable. Then they did some unexpected things like they tested different massage gels to see which gel would help the cyclist recover quicker. They hired a surgeon to teach them how to wash their hands so that they wouldn't catch a cold. They even determined which pillows and mattresses were the most comfortable to sleep on so the cyclists got a better sleep at night. They painted the inside of the truck white so that they could see if there was any dirt that might get onto the bicycles and onto the gears. Just these little incremental improvements that might degrade the performance. Five years later, these little improvements accumulated. Albert Einstein said that compound interest is the seventh wonder or the eighth wonder of the world. These things accumulated. Five years later, in 2008, they won 60% of the gold medals at the Beijing Olympics. Four years later, in London, they raised the bar even higher. They set nine Olympic records and seven world records. The same year, Bradley Wiggins became the first British cyclist to win the Tour de France. The next year, his teammate Chris Froome won the race, and he did that again in 2015, 16, and 17. So they won it five times in six years. In the 10 years that this new manager was there, from 2007 to 2017, the British, British cyclists won 178 championships 66 Olympic or Paralympic gold medals and captured the Tour de France five times out of six. It was the greatest run of British cycling success in history. But friends, it was these marginal gains. You're going, what on earth has this got to do with Jesus? It was the aggregation of these little gains. Jesus does the same when he says to us, Mark 4, 24, he says, consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. What is he saying here? He's saying, hey, lean in. Listen to what I'm saying. Don't just hear it, but really hear it. Listen to what I'm saying and begin to practice these things. As you hear me nudge you, practice it. Put it into practice. Listen to me, lean in more, and you will be given more. And as you're given more, you lean in more, and you will be given more. 
See, friends, sometimes we think the spiritual life is this major change where you will find this magic bullet. We come on a Sunday, we go, hey, Ray, just give me this magic bullet. I know I've looked for that too. Or read a book, just give me this magic bullet or the silver bullet which will just transform my life overnight. No, it's the aggregation of little gains very often that changes our lives. It's the little things we do. And Jesus goes on with this parable, which illustrates this in Mark 4, 26. He said, the kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. It's like a mystery. No, it's not. It's the aggregation of little gains. First the stalk, then the head, then the kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Here's a a picture of a person whose life is fruitful, whose life is meaningful, whose life is leaving a legacy. There's these little aggregational gains as they lean into Jesus. Friends, I want to encourage you this morning to lean into Jesus a little more every day. To lean into him and rarely listen like the one percenter for the British teams. The more you lean and hear, the more you become. It's not just hearing alone that's important, but it's how you hear. It's what you do with that. I want to say this morning that the secret to to a fruitful life is to keep leaning into what Jesus is saying and to follow him into that. So I want to ask you this morning as you sit there, what is he saying to you? What's the little change he wants you to make? What's he nudging you about? If you truly want to live a fruitful life, it's one of the reasons, friends, that I don't believe in evolution, and I never will. Because if the theory of naturalism or evolution says, you know, you're just a blob. You just arrived here by accident. Uh, you really are, have no meaning and purpose in life. And I know on one level we go in our heads, yeah, 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 let's try and argue that. But my heart rebels against that. Your heart rebels against that. You would not want to be called a blob, a nothing, a brainless idiot. You know you've been destined for more. And the question is, what do you want to lean into to become that? I want to encourage you, friends. What does the finish line look like? We've heard, about, we've heard about who Jesus is and Jesus calling his disciples to lean in more a little bit and, 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 and follow him. And, and he's revealing to them who he really is. They were expecting God to sort of arrive uh, with his entourage and change the world. Now Jesus is saying we're going to change this world little by little by little. But he also gives us a picture of what it's going to look like one day. This is the last parable in, uh, Luke chapter, in Mark chapter 4. He says again, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it's planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Of course, he's saying is the kingdom of God is starting small from little things, big things grow. It's starting small and it will spread. And, and the gospel exploded um, during the, the early start of the early church. It exploded across the Roman Empire. But friends, there's something else in this. There's this picture of this tree growing. In the Old Testament, especially when there's this idea of tree, there's something spiritual about it very often. 
There's something about something growing from earth up into the heavens, connecting earth and heaven, changing life. Changing life. Jesus is saying here the birds of the air are even coming to roost in this tree. You see in Isaiah chapter 11, for example, in prophecy about Jesus, more than 600 years before Jesus. It's not on the screen. I'll read it for you. Isaiah 11. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. That's David's line, King David's line. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees or decide by what he hears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions to the poor. Then it talks about the wolf and the lamb lying down together. It talks about this this time on earth that everything will be restored. The things that we are hoping for, the things that we are longing for, this connection of earth and heaven, knowing God, God knowing us, walking with God. Jesus has come to restore that. He's come to change everything. And often, friends, we get despondent because we think, and when we look at Christianity in the West, we think it's going backwards. Often the darkest is before the dawn. That's why I love the the Lord of the Rings, the movie, you know, the the series, because there's epic battles. And you think just when everything is going to be overcome, when evil is going to overcome good, no good overcomes evil. And there's this classic... um, Right at the end of, of the Lord of the Rings, the, the trilogy, uh, when Samwise Gam- Gamgee has woken up and he and Frodo have destroyed the ring of power, uh, he says this to Gandalf. Gandalf's the wizard. And, and go and read this. If you don't like the movies, read the books at least, right? They're free. And Samwise says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to become untrue? What's happened to There's a sense of connection with that. Our hearts are longing for the moment when everything sad will become untrue. And Gandalf says to Samwise, he says, a great shadow has departed. And then he laughed. The sound was like music or water on a parched land. As he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. It fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known. Friends, this spiritual life that Jesus invites us into, to know him and be known by him, that he is revealing himself to us more and more as you are leaning in, I ask myself the question, why does God allow the spiritual growth, our spiritual growth, to happen like this in stages? There are are times that there's this big step, yes, but mostly it's incremental growth. Why does God do that? I'm wondering to myself, why doesn't God just come and go, ta-da, here I am, and and just wow us with everything that he is, and, and we can't. We can't but help go, oh, there's a God in heaven, and I better worship him. Why doesn't he do that? 
Well, in my own way of thinking, it's because my friends, I think, in my own way of thinking, he's wanting us to love him. To learn to love him over time for the long haul, rather than being overwhelmed where we're forced to do it. And as you lean in, as you practice those one percenters, getting better at this, there is this joy and love of God that is born in your heart and is unstoppable, unquenchable. I would encourage you, my friend, there is, there is no such thing as standing still in your spiritual life. You can either go forward or you go backwards. There's no standing still. Last night I was doing, I've got in my, in my little app, which reminds me of the things I need to do because I'm forgetful, I'm a bloke. Uh, so I've got an app that reminds me. And last night I had on my to-do for today was to do some back stretches, some back strengthening exercises because that's what I'm, I've got this in my plan. And uh, I got to the evening, I was preparing, I'm going, I really don't have time for that. But the little one percenter thing in my brain goes, yeah, Ray, you, you can skip it for one night. That's okay. You're not going to see much change. But if you skip it for two nights, three nights, four nights, a week, a month, a year, you're going to see the change. But if you do it tonight, and you do it tomorrow night, and the next night, you're going to see a positive change. I want to encourage you, if your faith has, has diminished, has decreased, because you perhaps bought into something else that would give you happiness and peace, and it's just the one percenters going downhill, this aggregation on the margins, I want to encourage you just to go, what's the 1% to do today, up, and then tomorrow, and then the next day, and then the next day? For example, in, in a book um, called Atomic Habits, uh, the, the man says, you know, if, you, if, you're wanting to go to, if you're wanting to get healthy and you want to, you know, go to the gym and work out, you know, most of us have, go, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. I, big plan, you know, sign up, pay the money, go to the gym. And it lasts for a day or two or three or a week. And then, mm, no, something happens. He says, rather do the incremental gains. If you really want to start going to the gym, every night just put your gym gear out. Just put it out. If you don't go to the gym tomorrow, that's okay. You've put the gear out. Just keep doing that every night. Then maybe after a week you go, let me actually put the clothes on. Okay, so you do that. But you don't go to the gym. You get, put your work clothes on, you go to work. Okay, but you've put your clothes out, you put your gym clothes on. You may feel like an idiot. You didn't go to the gym, that's okay. Just keep doing that. And maybe you'll get in your car and drive to the gym and it's still winter and you go, hmm, it's a bit cold, don't want to get out of my car. It's okay, you showed up. But you see, the incremental gains will get you to the place where it becomes a habit. You don't replace a bad habit with nothing. You have to replace it with a good one. If we want to grow and know Jesus Christ, we have to replace our bad habits with something else. If we just keep taking things away, there's a vacuum. Nature hates a vacuum. But if you begin to fill You'll squeeze out all of that air, the things you don't want, the incremental gains. Here's a song by Jason Ingram as I end. And this is almost a song that I'd love to sing one day for them to sing at my funeral. 
song goes like this. The words are like this. If my heart could tell a story, if my life could sing a song, if I have a testimony, if I have anything at all, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. His faithful hand has held me all this way. And when I'm old and gray and all my days are numbered on the earth, let it be known in you alone, my joy is great. Jesus invites us like he invited his disciples to listen, to lean in, to get to know him, to press in. I simply want to say this morning from these three parables, what is Jesus saying to you right now? What's the 1%? Maybe you're discouraged about things. Maybe life is just throwing a curveball at you. Maybe your marriage is struggling, or your health is struggling, or you're struggling at work, and, and you're discouraged. What's the 1% you can do? The little thing. The, the put your gym clothes out at night type of thing for your spiritual life. What's the one thing you can do to get back on track in reading the Bible and in praying and in coming to church, what's the one thing you can do? Perhaps it's just taking your Bible out and putting it on the shelf. Or putting your device there. Or, you know, or putting on some music every day. And just making that the 1% shift that you're going to do every day. Put on some Christian music, some good music, and just listen to that for a while. Just do that every day. Just do the 1%. What is God asking you to do as you, as you lean into this relationship with him? Secondly, I do want to encourage you to enroll for Discovery Bible Message. It's, it's a way of hearing from God. What's God saying to me? And then what do I do to respond? And you're going to do that with somebody else who's a friend, your journey with them in faith. It's not Bible study. It's about hearing from God and responding and journeying. And uh, I would encourage you, friends, to sign up for that. Those two days you see, uh, they're not four days. It's, the, the training is over two weeks. So it's, there's one training in September during the day and one set of training in October in the evening. So sign up for that. This is perhaps the 1% just to go, hey, let me go and listen and try that out. This morning, as you sit there, what's God saying to you? As your heavenly Father, perhaps you've never heard him express his love to you. And for the first time you're hearing that he sent his son to this earth to express that to you, to call you closer, to invite you in, to be a person who understands the journey we're on and who calls us into that life and that somehow through that we will be transformed and this world will be transformed one day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that, um, Lord, you, you, you give us this um, insight into ourselves that um, causes us, Lord, just to pause and go, hmm, I've got to think about that. Help us, Lord, not just to think, but to respond. And to respond to the call on our lives. Lord, to make the 1% shift upwards. And not slide down into the 1% downwards. And put that in front of us. Lord, give us the strength just to take that step. We pray for your grace on us. We pray for your mercy. We pray for your love to be evident. Lord, we want to be on the winning team. One day when things are all renewed and restored by you, we will know we've played a part in that. 
We've made a difference. You've made a difference through us. Call us. Change us. Save us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.